You're in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. Today's Tuesday, January 30th. Uh, for those who are in the chat on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. We had a failure to launch this morning, guys, so we're a couple minutes late. But So we're just going to have to make up for lost time because we've got a great guest today, Tiffany Justice from Moms for Liberty. But uh, we want to make sure that we remind you while you're with us on Rumble that you smash the like button. Make sure you give us a follow if you listen to the podcast on iHeart and iTunes and Spotify. Make sure that you subscribe there. Give us a five-star review. Leave us a comment. Make sure you interact as much as you can. And if you're over on the social medias, the uh, the X profile is the handle is at AmradPod. For me, it's at Real Steve Friend, and Garrett is at Gob Actual. Streaming there as well, but it's way more fun over here on Rumble. So why don't you hop over and join the chat? We're gonna get right to it because we want to make sure we give Tiffany as much time as she can. She's uh, a busy, busy woman these days. Garrett, hop in here, and then we can bring our guest on. Good to see you, Steve. Let's try this again. Uh, looks like everything's popping off correctly with the ones and twos or whatever they say in the DJ world. But yeah, let's just uh, get right to Tiffany, bring her up and uh, tap into into her her mind and and her experience since uh, uh, Moms for Liberty was started and this whole crazy world that we all find ourselves a part of. Tiffany Justice at four. Tiffany Justice is her handle, everyone. She's the co-founder of Moms for Liberty. You guys have gotten some some acclaim here in the last few years, and we're really excited to talk to you just because we were, I guess, on the other side of things as FBI agents. We were sort of going after you as terrorists, um, <laughs> but we're glad to be in, in Team Mom for now. Um, the senior executives will, will not tell you that that was the case, but Steve lived it. I whistleblow about it. So did he. So... And we're so thankful for you. You guys are our heroes, honestly. It was so validating, you know, to see you sitting there and testifying before Congress and telling the American public the fact that there were FBI agents on the ground that were being told to do things that they knew were wrong, that they knew weren't in the best interest of the American people. And for us as moms, we knew it was happening, but, you know, nobody was really believing us. And so there was a time, uh, which everyone probably remembers, when the National School Board Association didn't like parents uh, going to the school boards and, and telling them that we were concerned about school lockdowns and mandates, mask mandates and quarantines and, and the indoctrination happening, right? The lack of, of reading proficiency. They didn't like that. They didn't like being questioned. And then they went to the Biden administration and they apparently asked uh, for us to be labeled domestic terrorists. And that was not funny. And not a joke. And Tina and I never made T-shirts that said "Woohoo, domestic terrorists" because I can't think of anything uh, more insulting than to be called an enemy of the state. I raise my kids, as most American moms do, to love our country, um, and uh, it's a privilege to be an American. And so, you know, thank you to you guys for being such brave warriors for us. That's very complimentary from you. And I'm actually glad you just you just uh, brought up that that reading rate. We've talked about this before. We had an earlier episode, I believe it was called Failing Our Children. And it was something that the, the Moms for Liberty uh, social media team had put out. There was a statistic line. I think it's uh, a year or so old. I want to bring it up just a reminder. This is what the one of the, the elements that your organization is fighting back on. Uh, it's the, the, the illiteracy rates, I would say. It's a fourth grade reading level from 2022. Uh, and it's across all demographics, 58% white, 79% Hispanic, 83% black, fourth grade students, not proficient at reading. Yeah. Uh, that's just one of the various elements that, that you are digging into. Uh, and I mean, just good on you. I, look, I, I had kids in the public school as well for, for an amount of time. And that's actually when I first uh, got interacted with Moms for Liberty. I went to a school board meeting myself talking to uh to talk to the board about the masking policy and saw all these women that had your t-shirt on and hadn't penetrated my awareness of an organization i just thought it was a cool logo uh, but then thankfully your group has taken off like a rocket ship and um and has 
be able to get, I, I mean, how many states is Moms for Liberty actually have a chapter in now at this point? So we started in two counties, Indian River County and Brevard County, Florida, neighboring counties in the East Coast of Florida. And now we have over 300 chapters in 48 states. Um, so we have grown like wildfire, honestly, across the United States of America. And I think it's because the things that are happening in Florida schools are the same things that are happening in California schools or Illinois schools or Texas schools. It doesn't matter. You know, people say, oh, it's a red state. It doesn't matter. These are captured institutions that we're talking about. And the public education system is not giving our children practicable skills, but instead indoctrinating them into a belief system uh, that is completely antithetical to the teaching in, in most Americans' homes. I, I want to just raise attention to what one of the things you just said. You're in 48 states now, yeah. over 300 chapters. It, yes. It's this is this is Mama Bear. That, yeah. That's what that is. And everybody listening, everybody following you, like I think they need to be made aware of that. Like that's what that is. It's that it's that innate instinct that we all call Mama Bear, or at least where I come from, we do. And I've seen it in my wife. I've seen it in my mom. I've seen it in you and others. Like when you see institutions attacking our children, mama bear steps in because who cares most about their children? The mom, I, I think, I know dads care too. I mean, you know, I don't want to knock dads at all. I am a dad. So, uh, but we have different roles and I think there is a, a God given instinct in moms where when they see the, the wheels coming off and it's like, Oh, these, these quote unquote adults are in charge of my children. And, they're leading them down a path that I don't want them down, going down. That's when you step in. And that's how you go from two counties to 48 states. It's incredible. Hats off to you guys. And I mean, really in a short period of time too. Like, it's not like you've been at this for 15 years. So that that's awesome. And then the other thing I want to touch on is what you said about domestic terrorists. You know, like when Steve and I testified, we were lamb blasted as, 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 you know, committing espionage essentially by some of the people up there. And just like you, you know, we're red-blooded Americans. We love this country. We're not doing anything to harm it. But of course, you and us and others are going to get gaslit into being the quote-unquote enemy when, in fact, the enemy is kind of running the ship right now. That's right. What I've learned is that the system does not like disruption. The administrative state, the system does not like anyone questioning the system, the way things that are, are, are happening, right? And so if you say, well, why are we doing it like this? And they say, well, it's the way we've always done it. And then if you're, whether you're on school board or you're the FBI, or you're a mom or you're serving in Congress and you say, well, maybe we could do it a different way. Maybe we don't need to spend this money doing this or these positions doing that. Um, they don't like that. And then they try to uh, make you seem like you're an agent of chaos, like you are the problem, right? And and that's just not the case. And and that's, you know, I mean, you guys speaking out, moms and dads all over the country saying, wait, this is happening here in, in my county and it's happening in your county. And then Tina Deskovich, the co-founder of Moms for Liberty, went over to the um, uh, to, to the Jordan Peterson event in London, um, the Responsible Citizens event. He had a, a, an event to try to bring people across the, the world together to talk about some of the things that were happening. And there were people from Kenya saying, oh no, comprehensive sex education, the things that you're having happen in America aren't just happening there, they're happening in Kenya too. And so this is part of a much larger conversation about this uh, globalization that is happening, United Nations and UNESCO and the role that they're playing in, in changing and transforming America and the role that America is playing in changing and transforming the world um, as the, the, the leader as we still stand. Um, and it's something that we have to talk about and the American children are being uh, driven away from their parents. They're being taught to hate their country and they're being divided amongst each other. And there is no future for our country with that type of division. The antiquity of error is no justification for its perpetuity, to quote my dad. Uh, just doing things because you've always done them that way is not necessarily mean that it's the right thing to do. Uh, uh, you tried to go sort of the traditional route. R reading on your background, I've heard you in multiple interviews. You tried to get work through the school board. You had four years on a school board down at Indian River County, which is a little bit south of me. I'm in Volusia County, Florida. And then uh, after having tried that traditional route, decided to go the activist route. To you, was was there a one issue that spurred you to that that sort of grassroots activist, or was it just sort of a, a few items? Uh, what was really the genesis that that drove you to just start the organization to begin with? 
I think it was a culmination of things. Honestly, we were seeing some of the indoctrination happening in the schools after the shooting in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School down in South Florida. There was a huge push for mental health in schools. Uh, our legislature was in session in Florida at the time, and there was an enormous amount of money that was going to be spent on mental health. But we weren't addressing some of the underlying issues that we were seeing regarding discipline and this practice of restorative justice in our schools. And so um, saw a huge amount of money going into mental health was totally overwhelmed by the amount of organizations across the United States of America that existed to perfectly come in and provide that mental health to students, right? And, and taking a step back and saying, wait, parents have the fundamental right to direct the education of their children, also their medical care. And mental health care is medical care. And all of a sudden, there was this huge amount of money going into schools to support students' mental health. Um, and parents were really not uh, having a, a guiding hand in that. Um, and, and we saw some of the things in Florida um, as a school board member, some of the guides that were coming from some of these nonprofits, I think, um, and then COVID happened. And then all of America got to see behind the education curtain that Tina and I had seen. I, I think the important thing that I would love to be able to talk about today a little bit and that I think people need to be able to understand is that the left has about 21,000 single issue organizations where they are constantly in contact with Americans and engaging with them about the issues that they care about. Uh, Republicans or the right or conservatives really don't do that. They do a push uh, for elections, get out the vote, but there's not a sustained relationship that's being built with with individuals around issues. And so um, when you look at the schools and a lot of the different ways that our institutions across the United States have been captured, it's that momentum and money that is fed through the single issue organizations and then also the grant process that we have through our federal government and state governments um, that drive a lot of this change. And so COVID happened, I'm sitting on that school board and, the, uh, and I'm just shocked, to be honest with you, Tina too, we didn't know each other which is kind of wild. Um, but we were having this similar experience of being on the bottom side of 4-1 votes, you know, uh, to stop masking, to stop quarantining. We had healthy kids being quarantined two weeks at a time. The health department director who had had zero authority in my community, literally had only worked on rabies. That is how I knew this woman. She was, we had like a lot of cats in our county, apparently that were out and about. And there was a, a, a situation with rabies. And the only uh, interaction I had ever had with her was rabies awareness in our schools. And all of a sudden you've got this person who's making calls about kids' futures, right? Making calls about healthy kids being quarantined from schools, two weeks, two weeks. I mean, watching kids fall into the states of depression and, and, and regression, awful, awful. My own children, I'm a mom of four. I saw it with my own kids and I'm sitting on that school board and the superintendent at one point uh, says that he wants to start a medical committee and he's going to, I said, laugh, I still, um, he says he's going to get the director of the hospital, which is the Cleveland Clinic, uh, and, and that man had come once and given citizen input and left before he heard everyone else speak. So he gave about this much care about parents and their input. Um, and then he was going to get the health director uh, and then he was going to choose some doctors and they were all going to serve on a medical committee so they could make recommendations to the school board. Right. The experts were going to come in and make recommendations to us. And I had been laughed at previously for suggesting that we open windows and increase ventilation in buses in schools. They told me that that was stupid. Because uh, God so forbid I, you take the you take a common sense approach. I mean, yeah. give me yeah. a, you've got an air sun, sunlight, <laughs> no, no sunlight or orange juice in, in, in Florida. No. Right. And so I had, you know, I had been laughed at. So at this point now, the experts, I think, are total idiots. Right. Like I'm like, I'm done with the experts. Obviously, they know nothing. And uh, they wanted, you know, the kids are wearing these cloth masks and they're, you know, sitting on their bike, uh, you know, their, their bike um, handles and they're putting it back on the next day. It's falling on the ground. They're blowing their nose and it's going in the mask. I mean, just, you know, crazy, crazy. And, and we knew the masks didn't work, of course. Yep. Um, you know, a, co a COVID particle is uh, a fraction of the size of an asbestos molecule. And mm -hmm. um, asbestos, uh, people, you know, if you interact with asbestos, you have to wear a lot of protective gear. So the idea that, you know, this little paper mask was going to do anything was such a joke. But whatever. Yep. I and that's, I mean, think of that, too. Like, I know a lot of people say, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say that now. No, we no, knew we then. Like, we knew early on the, yeah. the, the size of the particulate matter of SARS-CoV-2 and all like there were people like you and many others and like the Robert Malone's and Peter McCullough's and legitimate doctors out there saying like, hey, this this is, you know, it's a virus like you're even putting on a second mask on top of your first mask. Like 
you're not you're not doing anything and you and us we were all looked at like the crazy ones and it's like uh this is like you're all lemmings and mm -hmm. the quote-unquote experts like you said like which i think in a way is it's probably been a good thing because so many people that i've encountered in the last couple of years they are questioning so much now and it's like oh we've literally been lied to about everything like our entire life and and covid was one of the tipping points of that for people to be like oh oh man what i thought i knew what the experts told me is actually all it's all been a myth the whole time 100 when the aap the american academy of pediatrics came out and said that babies didn't need to see their mom's faces that the masking wouldn't affect their development every mom and dad in america said baloney we call baloney on you that is nonsense of course babies need to see your face uh you know so um they want to create this medical committee and i looked at the superintendent i have it on tape <laughs> from my school board meeting um, and he, i said uh no you don't get to choose doctors for other people if you want to have someone making medical recommendations you're going to have to invite every parent to have their pediatrician come in and survey the educational surroundings of that child and then make a recommendation to the parent and then uh dr superintendent mr superintendent um you're still gonna have to listen to the parent because my pediatrician makes recommendations to me but the ultimate decision is mine and that was a real moment where um i think everybody just kind of took a step back and and uh, you guys probably have seen the t-shirts that we made. We sold um, $150,000 worth of t-shirts in our first year at Moms for Liberty. And we put on, on the t-shirt what I said to the superintendent that day, which is we do not co-parent with the government. And, uh, you know, that was really the moment when I just said, okay, this is just, this has gone too far. And can I affect change on this school board with my hands tied behind my back? Or are we going to have to do, am I going to have to advocate in a different way? And so I didn't run for school board again. Tina did. She was very brave. Uh, she did not win. The union uh, sent money and people from out of state and they fought and they put up someone uh, who was a union shill to, to serve in that seat that Tina had on. But I continue to say uh, Tina is so incredibly effective that I bet the left, I bet the teachers union wish that they had let her win that school board seat rather than run a major organization across the United States of America. Strike me down, Darth, and I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Uh, so I'm curious because you've started this grassroots organization. Did you have any background in any sort of starting a company or something like that? I had somebody throw to me, uh, hey, you know, the, the Texas Public Policy Institute, uh, you should start that in Florida. And I looked around like uh, I, I never started a giant public policy institute, but I, I suppose there's sort of a, a cowboy-esque attitude where you're just like, all right, I'm, I'll figure it out somehow. Did you have any background in it? Did you surround yourself with people? Or even, I was even thinking when you threw out that, uh, that 21,000 single issue uh, stat for items on the left, I might also try to recruit one of those people over to, to the light side and say, you kind of know how this is going. Can you kind of give me some best practices so I can get my thing started? So there's a lot there that you just said. First of all, I believe that anyone can do anything that they put their mind to. And uh, I just think messing with moms and dads with their kids created a situation where it was like, you know, what what can't I do? I will do anything to protect my child. So, uh, you know, watch me. I always say like, hold my beer, right? <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I had a business background. My husband and I own a business. Um, and so I've worked in business uh, my whole life. Um, and so I had a business background, so that was helpful to me. Um, but uh, Tina had worked, uh, she had started a PTO process in Brevard County. So she had worked a little bit in the nonprofit side and had been on some boards. Um, you know, I had worked uh, in, in nonprofit space as a school board member. So I had a bit of an understanding, but, but honestly, the, the right only has about, I would say less than 4,000 single issue organizations. And they're not, they don't always play well with each other. There's a lot of competition for funding and things. So I'll be honest with you, it's been difficult. Um, you know, to, to, we've kind of built this uh, while we've been running it and finding good, solid uh, vendors to work with is very, very difficult because there are a lot of people, as you guys know, that want to deplatform conservatives and don't always love our message, which, you know, is shocking. I continue to say 
that every parent has a line. We just obviously haven't found some of their lines yet, but I promise you they do have a line. And when we find it, Moms for Liberty will be standing defending parental rights and we will welcome them to join us then. What's shocking to me is the uphill battle that you actually have uh, when it comes to just a uh, platform, a search, search engine. If I go to Google and I type in Moms for Liberty, it takes me to a parody site, or it's, it's basically, it's a, a site that's constructed to make it look like it's yours, but it's very obviously not. And it's like, oh, we advocate for Nazism and bur burning of books. And and unless you're mildly educated on what your organization is to begin with, you might go there and just think that these people are out there swinging swastikas around loudly and proudly, and, and we're trying to indoctrinate your kids into some sort of... Uh, new Fourth Reich. It's awful. And there's, they have so much money. They put so much money into these efforts. And you know, just think about how our children are not doing well in school. You showed those statistics. I was just in New York City. Only 11% of Black children are reading on grade level in fourth grade. This is atrocious. It's criminal. Do you know we spend $40,000 a year in New York City public schools for each individual student's education. The average class size is 25. That means a million dollars in a classroom, and these kids are not learning how to read? How is that possible? What the heck are they doing in there? And now, you know, we got to see, right? Parents got to see on their kitchen table. We, we know now that there's an enormous amount of indoctrination happening, um, and uh, you know, it, it is, it's a difficult thing to swallow how much money is being spent to really steal the future of our children. It, it is. And like for me, I, uh, Steve, Steve, Steve knows this. I, I call public school. I think that's a misnomer. I think it's government indoctrination camps and the amount of money that I, I didn't know that statistic. It, it's astounding. Like it's, it's probably hard for most people listening to comprehend how much money that actually is per year. You're just talking in New York City, like let's spread that across the rest of the nation. I know it will vary from, you know, Mississippi to New York to LA, but yes. you know, it, it still is an astronomical amount of money. And like you said, how are they, how are our, our children not learning the basic things that they should be learning, how to read, basic arithmetic, but they are learning DEI and about 57 different genders and uh, how to hate the country and how to turn against mom and dad. Like, you know, I, I call the Department of Justice, the Ministry of Justice, a la George Orwell's 1984. And it's, it's, it's very similar because in the, if you're familiar with that story, the the children in there, all the parents are afraid of the kids because they think that, that the kids are going to snitch on them. Like when, because they're all kind of products of the state. And it's like, that's where we are right now. And if, if we're, if I know people may disagree and say, well, we're not fully there yet. I think we pretty much are. And if we aren't, we're certainly headed that way. But thankfully there's groups like yours that are trying to stand in the gap and, and stop the madness. It's the building of the red guard in America. Absolutely. If, if you, so as we go back though, you guys have made some really good progress. I mean, I, you know, no, it's not a clean record. You're not undefeated. Um, but I think 2023 was pretty good for education. Um, and is, I'm sure you guys did sort of a retrospective and after action on what we were able to get accomplished last year. Uh, can you give us some, some of the high points of what, out the, what you guys got across, across the country? And then, uh, and then we can transition into stuff you're looking at doing now. Yeah, absolutely. So our chapters are set up by county. There's a little over 3,000 counties in the United States of America. And when you have a chapter, you have a chair, a vice chair, a secretary, and a treasurer, and then you have a membership uh, group. And um, they're amazing people who are the watchdogs of their public education system in their community and are, are helping to make sure that we're defending and protecting parental rights at all levels of government. So we work to unify people, to educate them on important issues. And when you unify and educate people, you're able to empower them to action. Our moms have done incredible things. And dads too, just to be clear, I wanna say, um, it's not just moms. We have dads, we have some dads who actually head up chapters in some of the areas where there's a little bit more contention. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at a place like Austin, for example, or other places where you have Antifa coming out quite a bit, um, we really do appreciate when we have men who are there standing with us. There's been a lot of violence threatened uh, and, 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 and directed at us, unfortunately. Um, it's shocking. I mean, LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow, for heaven's sake, said at a, an event that he wanted to throw hands at moms, um, which is just... Wow 
crazy, crazy stuff. Um, Seems to be a call for violence. Maybe we should get, you know, the Federal Bureau of Investigation on that one. Yeah. But let's let's investigate Tiffany Justice as a domestic terrorist. But hey, the guy from Reading Rainbow, he can say whatever he wants, even if it's threatening. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's what it feels like sometimes. It's just so ridiculous, right? Um, but we have, we've been able to support um, a lot of changes, big wins and small wins. Sometimes the win is, uh, you know, getting a, a, a program stopped in a school or, or getting a worksheet removed from a classroom, right? So we celebrate all of those wins, getting, uh, you know, making sure that our libraries don't have uh, graphic sexual content in them in uh, uh, um, Carroll County, Maryland, excuse me. We just had a mom there, Kit Hart, who did an amazing job helping the school district to remove a lot of these graphic books. Um, we have uh, we work at the state level as well. And so our chapters will come together in a legislative committee at, at each state level. And then they come up with a platform and they support certain bills or they fight against different bills. And they've had numerous wins across the United States of America regarding parental rights and education policy, as well as stopping medical uh, gender transition of minors. Um, I think there are 22 states now that have uh, stopped the medical transition of children. And our moms have been on the front line of making sure that we are not um, sterilizing uh, young children and giving them puberty blockers. So there's been incredible wins from the school board level all the way up to the state level. And we support federal legislation as well when appropriate. Uh, there's a new uh, Federal Rights and Responsibilities Act that we can talk about that was uh, sponsored by Senator Tim Scott uh, that our moms are involved in. And it's a very important piece of legislation. I actually have a, a question from the chat that I think is relative based on what you were just saying. And it comes from uh one of our followers named Joe Duarte, he says, how can private citizens audit their district school libraries to see if pornographic books are present? Because you, you're talking about some of these wins you guys have had, and I think it's a great question. I wouldn't even know where to begin to be like, okay, how can I take a look at the books on my local public school shelf and find out which ones are really uh, pornographic and antithetical to what children should be reading in a school? So Joy Reid, I was just on MSNBC recently, and Joy helped to publicize a website called Book Looks. Um, and uh, I think that it's a website where parents have placed, uh, you know, books that they're concerned about and why they're concerned about them on that list. Um, you could go to Book Looks and you could look up the books that other parents are concerned about and send a records request to your school district and ask um, if there are any of those books in your school system. Um, you can also, if you can get access to it, um, there are the, the library uh, catalog system that is used. Uh, and I think there's like two different ones that are used across the United States primarily. You can also uh, access uh, some of that as well. I see someone in the chat saying, begin with the graphic novel collections. Um, yeah, a lot of the graphic novels are just garbage. Wait, is Joy Reid on Advocate for you? I know. Oh. I was like, what? No, did you not see this interview? No, no. Well, on cable. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. The streams yeah. have crossed in a way I could not have imagined. She helped in a way she didn't, you know. So I wanted to debate Randy Weingarten. That, I, I put out a, a press release and I sent a message to Randy Weingarten. I said, she's the head of the American Federation of Teachers, which is the second largest teachers union in the United States of America. They are connected to the AFL-CIO. Uh, the other uh, teachers union is uh, the National Education Association. They basically run the Democratic Party. Uh, and so I wanted to debate Randy because she's very vocal and she goes to Ukraine and lots of places and their platform from AFT always has lots of issues on it, but nothing really about education, right? And so I wanted to debate her. And, you know, I understand that there may be a place for unions protecting workers' rights, but don't sit there and pretend like you give a hoot about our kids, right? You're you're fighting for adults and what adults want. Just be honest about that. And then we can have a real conversation. But don't pretend like you're some advocate for my kid or anybody else's kid for that matter. Um, and so I wanted to debate her. And uh, she, of course, uh, wouldn't do it because she's a coward. So, hey, Randy, still willing to debate you. Um, and uh, Joy said, I said, I'd even do it on your home turf of MSNBC. And MSNBC reached out and said uh, that they would host the debate. And Joy Reid said that she would moderate and have it on her show. And I was in. And so we did a town hall in New York City two weeks ago where I brought uh, members of their community education council, parents, policymakers, um, elected officials. I brought a bunch of people together to talk about the state of the city, which is abysmal. As I said, uh, only a quarter of kids in New York City reading on grade level, 11% of black students. Um, and uh, then uh, Joy said she wanted to still have me on. And so I said, I'm game. But I had no idea what it was going to be about. 
And she told me it was going to be about six to seven minutes. It ended up being 16. And uh, in that conversation, uh, we got to have a, a lot of discussion about um, context. And uh, I don't know, we're live right now, and I don't know who's watching, but I, I got to ask her some very pointed questions about uh, what context she felt it was appropriate to have uh, different adult um, toys uh, in, in school libraries. And she was not willing or able to answer that. Of course not. Of because course. because when you reveal some of their actual nefarious intent with the things they actually want children to read and observe and view and learn how to use and learn how to do and all of that, then they like they they're like afraid to verbalize it. Like you said, it's because they're they're cowards. And I think anybody who's been paying attention has realized that. And it's oh man, that's so frustrating because it's like just say it, say it out loud. Why aren't you willing to say it? You know. I, you know, I, I think you, you, you probably would have to articulate it to me, but I would imagine that hey, having sat down next to Joy Reid, you would found that she was weighed, measured, and found wanting intellectually compared to yourself. You probably would have had something similar happen with Randy Weingarten. I'm glad they gave you that opportunity though to get it out there and maybe reach an audience that you don't typically reach, which is excellent. When it comes to the 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 schools that you're interested in, are, is is Moms for Liberty? K through 12, or do you go all the way into even like these indoctrination camps that are at the college level? The seeds are being sown in K through 12 education, and that's primarily where our focus has been. But as our uh, as our moms, kids are getting older and they're going into to college or looking at the future, I think you know a lot of them are becoming more concerned and more active at that level as well. But we're primarily focused at K through 12 education. I want to say to parents. Um, you know, just because your kid isn't in public school, if they're in private school or their charter, which is a non-traditional but pub still public school, you still need to be vigilant about what's being taught in the classroom. Unfortunately, what we've seen is that there is no safe place for a lot of these ideologies. And uh, except for your home, if you're homeschooling, then you can, you know, be very mindful and you can see what your children are being taught and you can control that. Um, but I think it's important for parents to remember your parental rights do not stop at the classroom door. Uh, I don't care where your kid goes to school. And so I saw someone say room moms and volunteers rule. They absolutely do. The best thing that we could do is get into those classrooms, mm -hmm. volunteer again, be present. I promise you a lot of this stuff wouldn't have been happening if we hadn't either left ourselves or allowed ourselves to be pushed out. American parents have absolutely been pushed out of public schools and COVID just allowed uh, the uh, government to push us out farther. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Mao actually closed uh, schools in China during um, the Cultural Revolution and did uh, re-education re of the teachers. Uh, he closed yeah. schools for two years. So if that sounds familiar to anyone. Um, How about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm reading, then, uh, yeah. reading Xi Van Fleet's story about that now, how she basically was sent home at age six and then brought her back and they just promoted her to fourth grade. Sounds very familiar. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that sounds so similar um it's go ahead go ahead oh i would, I would say as, apart from just curriculum is there any push from your organization on things like school safety like uh especially when you have you you talked about parkland uh garrett and i've talked a lot about uvalde and we, we have these incidents happen and then it sort of galvanizes an appetite for what how are we going to counter this how are we going to harden our structures we have armed guards outside of banks why don't we doing that for our most precious resource which is our kids uh, I know here in Florida, I'm actually trying to push ahead some legislation that would allow enhanced armed school security. Is that something Moms for Liberty gets delves into that, dips its toe into that? Yeah, we absolutely do. And Tina and I, you know, again, we were prepared to run this organization and to help lead in ways that I think we never could have even imagined. So you have a horrific shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. That's in Broward County, Florida, south of me. You have 17 people killed, 14 students, three adults. Uh, there's a, a gentleman, Aaron Feist. He was a coach there who actually was an incredibly brave man. He was killed during that shooting, but he tried to save students. Um, and so the Guardian program was created in in, the, in Florida, and that gave an opportunity for people to go through a training to be able to be an armed guard in the schools. Not every school district implemented that program. Governor Scott at the time really gave people the gave school districts um, the ability to have local control and to work with their local sheriff to decide what was best for their community. I was very blessed. We had a sheriff at the time who said, 
the day after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas actually uh, approached all of the school board members and said, uh, we are putting a, an armed guard in every single school in this county. We will do a 50-50 cost share with you, and it's happening starting today. And we were able to sit down and work out that program. So that was a real blessing. Um, the majority of schools do not have that across the United States of America. And um, we need to be smart when it comes to this issue. Uh, Rick Scott, who's now a state senator, introduced something called the Guardian Act um, in the Senate last year. He proposed taking all of the money that was uh, going to be spent on those 87,000 IRS agents and changing that and using that to hire more police officers and, and school resource officers to go into schools to be armed guards. Uh, a word of warning to American parents, and, and I say this with all seriousness, um, we have a lot of schools across the United States that are not protected. Uh, in the way that they should be. And with an influx of a lot of people coming into our country, um, we should be very concerned about the safety of our schools. And you're right, Steve, we protect so many different institutions. Why we would not protect our children in the same manner is uh, shocking to me. I'm actually trying to put, I've given it to a couple state reps in Florida because I'm down in Florida with you. Uh, and we have the state guard. I think it's about 24, 25 states have a state militia. It's sort of like a national guard, except it's answerable to the governor. I kind of want to pair that with school security, where you would essentially enhance your arm, your state guard, and then part of their boot camp, their basic training would include certification into guardian, and that way a parent could be a member of the guard and then could volunteer their services, not looking to take away uh, anybody's job as a guardian, but could volunteer their services as a guard, or maybe even become a trainer to train other parents to be able to do the same, because now we have the the concealed carry law in, uh, in, in Florida. There's no reason why mom and dad can't go during drop off and pick up and, and be armed. And, and just because that's a high risk, a high risk scenario. Safety is all of our responsibilities at school. It, it, it when you're visiting a school campus, it's as much as making sure that you're going through that single point of entry, making sure gates are closed behind you. Everyone should always be aware and paying attention. Steve, I'd love to work with you on talk and talk about that and see what that looks like. Um, you know, because I think that um, I really believe in working with the local sheriff and bringing the community along with you. Tina Deskovich actually went through the Guardian program uh, in Brevard County, um, and uh, she has some wonderful stories to, to share about that, what that was like to go through that training. It was pretty intense. Um, but, you know, they didn't have enough money in Brevard County or uh, they didn't have it wasn't even a money issue. Excuse me. They did not have the police force to be able to dedicate to the number of schools they had. And so that was a real issue. And that's why they chose to go with the Guardian program. Um, she held a lot of town halls about that. And there was a lot of conversation. So I'd love to work with you on that. School safety is all of our responsibility. Great. And so that's Florida. Uh, we talked offline before we began. Uh, you've got something to cook in, in California in the uh, the People's Republic of California <laughs> on the left coast. Uh, let's get into that, give you the opportunity to sort of tell folks what's going on, because we don't just ignore those areas. We have to kind of seize them back. Yeah, we are not taking any stars off of the flag. And if we are not taking <laughs> any stars off of the American flag, we better start fighting for every single state. And what I knew to be true during COVID was that when we started Moms for Liberty, I mean, we have vibrant chapters in Washington State, in Oregon, in California, in Illinois, in Michigan, in New York. And it, it, you can see there are people just crying out for help. Not everyone can just leave, nor do I think that's really a great solution on how to solve this issue we have in America. I'm not a fan of national divorce. I see a lot of issues with it. It doesn't seem very smart to me. It just creates more division. Um, so in California, um, California is not Vegas. What happens in California does not stay in California. And we see evidence of that through legislation that's being proposed all over the United States of America. Um, and, and one of the things that's been happening in California is um, it's really the birthplace in America or the start uh, in America. Although um, I know this started in other states originally, but this idea of gender ideology and the way that it's spreading in California and the way that the government is being used in order to solidify this idea of gender affirming care, which is a total uh, misrepresentation of what gender, what what children really need in life, and affirming their their real sex. Um, and so, in California, we're working to help to to support something called the Protect Kids California Ballot Initiative. You think about when you wanna make change happen. So in some states, um, you have like a red state like Florida, let's say, you have to have, you can have that strategy. So you can work through in Florida when it came to uh, gender ideology and gender affirming care, I'm gonna go like this, gender affirming care. Um, we worked through our Board of Medicine. 
And then we worked, you know, and you can work with for, for legislation as well. If you have a state that you, you have the representatives to be able to pass something like that. California does not. And so we have to be smart about blue state strategy. How are we going to protect citizens and their children? How are we going to work to protect ourselves if we don't have a legislature which will pass bills or if we have a governor who's going to veto everything that comes across his desk? One of the things that you can do is a ballot initiative. And so in California, we are currently supporting uh, the Protect Kids California ballot initiative. You can go to protectkidsca.org. Org, I think it is, uh, just do a search, Protect Kids CA, um, and you'll see that they're working to get uh, three different measures on the ballot uh, so that people, we can stop the medical transition of children, we can protect uh, girls in, in, when, in, in playing in female sports and, and private spaces, and we can protect parental rights. This issue of gender ideology is the most backwards, regressive, horrible uh, ideology that is harming children right now in our schools and in our country. And, and I don't know how much you guys know about that, but I'm happy uh, to give you a little bit of an entrance to it if you'd like. Yeah, by all means. I mean, yeah, let, for sure. I, I, and before you get to that, even I, I would say like I was in Tennessee last week and they were sort of talking about this issue and you generally perceive Tennessee to be a relatively conservative area, but the way they're manipulating game, uh, the word game, like gender affirming care and a conversion therapy where it's basically inverted what you would think that the words mean. They're doing the same thing with mental health. And they're saying that, well, mental health people think means mental illness, but mental health really just means you don't think that you know, a boy can be a girl. Right. So let's talk about this for a second. If you see your child in mental distress, if your child was having an identity crisis, you would step in and help your child. So for example, if my daughter um, was thought she was, you know, very uh, overweight, but she wasn't. There we go. Protect Kids CA. Go follow them. Donate. They need money. They need money to get people out there to get petitions signed. So please go and help them. Um, so if, if your child was anorexic, um, what would you do? Would you feed into that mental distress? Would you encourage your daughter to starve herself? Would you give her different medications to keep her from eating? Would you... Um, you know, go and get her lap band surgery, for example. If you're a doctor and you uh, had a, a child that was presenting with anorexia, would you put a lap band on them, right? Would you allow them to have that type of surgery? Uh, of course not. That would be harmful. And doctors take an oath to do no harm. Um, if you can change the meaning of words, then you don't actually have to change the word. And that is what is happening in America, diversity, equity, inclusion, gender affirming care. Um, I came across gender affirming care uh, really um, to see the, the full effects of it uh, through a friend of mine who lives in Canada and Vancouver. His name is Chris Elston. He goes by Billboard Chris. And Chris, uh, and was on a Twitter space uh, once and I was listening to him talk and then I contacted him after and had him on my podcast. And he told me that all of the members of parliament had voted unanimously in Canada to consider it conversion therapy to not affirm your child's want of changing their gender. That means that if your daughter comes to you and says, I think I'm really a boy. If you say, sweetie, listen, I hear you and what you're saying, but we need to talk about this. Let's sit down. Let's talk about what's happening in your life. Let's see if there are other issues that are happening. If you did that, that would be considered um, not caring for your child. That would be considered abuse. Um, you just have to say, oh, okay, whatever you want, we'll make that happen. And so when I heard that all of the members of parliament had unanimously agreed to consider it conversion therapy to not affirm your child's want of changing their gender, I was shocked. Yep. And we, I call it my Kamala Harris moment. We have a very long border with Canada. I lived there for a time in my life. Um, what happens in Canada is coming into the United States. The idea to think that somehow they get to be a completely separate country and what happens there doesn't affect us is just not smart. And so um, I started doing more research and seeing how prevalent this was. And this is a couple of years ago um, across the United States and started seeing some of the laws changing. COVID was used as a tool to be able to do that as well. Um, and then saw that gender ideology is being injected into our schools as early as kindergarten. Uh, shocking, shocking stuff. If you tell a five-year-old that they were maybe born in the wrong body, that their doctor assigned them a sex at birth, but maybe they, they think they were a boy, but maybe they're actually a girl. Well, you know, kids believe in Santa and the tooth fairy. So why wouldn't they believe an authority figure in the classroom telling them that? I can't think 
of many things that a teacher could say to a child that would be more destabilizing than telling them that their parents might be wrong about something that is very, very simple and factual to them. And so this idea is being injected in our children's minds. It's being um, supported by a lot of different social media, by uh, the Biden administration, by uh, Richard Levine, who likes to go by Rachel Levine, who's the Assistant Deputy of Health and Human Services in the United States of America. Um, and so um, it's being pushed on our kids, gender ideology. It is absolutely crazy. Parents know it. Uh, it's a very small minority of Americans that actually believe that uh, we should allow children to go through sex change operations and stop their natural healthy development through puberty. Um, a side note to people listening, puberty blockers are not reversible. You need to know that. But what's happening, much like the National School Board Association, we have these associations, the American Medical Association, as I said, the American Academy of Pediatrics, these woke associations that are creating policies around these issues, and they're not being honest with parents. And so I continue to believe on this issue of gender ideology when it comes to the idea of your child thinking that they might be transgender that if parents were given accurate information about how damaging the treatments actually are that are given to these children, that if you start a child on puberty blockers, that it affects their life expectancy, their bone density, their um, neurological development, um, it, it, their sexual development, certainly they can become sterilized. If you put a boy on puberty blockers uh, between the ages of nine to 11, that's what they call Tanner stage two, um, there is evidence that shows that they will never have an orgasm in their entire lives. What child can consent to that? What, what girl at 12 um, or, or 15 for that matter can say, I never wanna have children or breastfeed my children. Um, and so I've, got, I've had the um, unique honor, honestly, to be able to spend time with some detransitioners. These are girls who have gone through this medical transition process and changed their minds, as well as spend time with parents and kids who desist, they call it D-E-S-I-S-T, who did not go through transition, but thought perhaps they were trans and have changed uh, their thinking. And, um, you know, the watch and wait approach is what's appropriate um, and, and not rushing to medicalization. But right now we have a situation where in some places kids can have one consultation with a doctor and be put on puberty blockers and, and on a a uh, medical path that is incredibly disastrous to them in their life. The last thing I'll say about it, it, this is, is this, not only are they entering into schools, the idea of gender ideology as early as the age of five and not allowing parents to opt out of that teaching. This isn't just happening in sex ed class. You need to understand, again, in Maryland, um, they have a rainbow storybook collection that they show that they can pull in books in the schools at any time of day that talks about gender ideology, that talks about sexual orientation. Parents, uh, there's a lawsuit now that's gone to the appellate court um, because the uh, district, the local court said that parents could not opt out of it. They held up the, the local school district's ruling that said, you can't pull your kid out of this teaching. It's a crazy town. And so we are fighting back against this. Um, I lost my train of thought a bit. I apologize. I was making a point on the, on the other side. Oh, that, it, that it's not just sex ed. I just want people to understand. It's not just like, oh, this happens in health class in ninth grade. This has now become a part of the day-to-day -day life of your children in public school. I don't know if um, Chloe Cole is one of the detransitioners that you've ever met or dealt with, but uh, she's a perfect example to me of, of honestly, like a hero of mine. She's 19. She went on blockers at 13, had a double mastectomy. She detrans and she's like fighting this fight now. Like she woke up and like I'm a father of girls. I have four girls and I have a wife who's a woman. You know, shocking. I know. But um, it's like to see uh the destruction steve and i compare it to the old testament false god of molech sometimes where as a nation we're just offering our children to to be a sacrifice to this false god of this trans movement of government of quote unquote science and it's horror it's horrifying but then you see someone like like chloe cole who's gone through all of this and now has is is really like carrying the banner forward to be like this is wrong this is evil. This is wicked. And here's why. And look at my life's example. 
Um, well, and, and to that point, Garrett, you know, this ideology and, and these people are preying on very vulnerable children. Uh, I see in the chat, someone said, beware of SEL, that's social emotional learning. When you think about social emotional learning, and you guys are FBI agents, I spoke to Joe Kent, who um, I think he was a Navy SEAL. We talked a little bit about um, some of the ways that you can change the way that people think about things. Social emotional learning is a programming mechanism. Um, the best way I can describe it, it it's a, it, it sounds very nice. Uh, don't you know? Don't you want kids to be nice to each other and kind and inclusive, included? Don't you want them to feel included, right? Um, but what social emotional learning does is this: when you have kids, if you're a parent, you're listening to me right now. I know you're going to say, "Yep, yep." Um, you tell your kids that they need to trust themselves, right? That they need to—they know how mom and dad feel about certain things, and that if they get in a situation that feels doesn't feel good to them. If they get a funny feeling in their tummy or they have that, you know, their spidey sense that tells them, oh, I don't think mom and dad would like this. I don't think this is a good idea or safe for me, that they need to listen to that. Right. What social emotional learning does is exactly the opposite. What it tells the child is that they should lean into the discomfort oh, and that their comfort and their feelings and their belief system that they've been raised with should be subverted uh, for the good of the whole in the classroom. And so that sometimes, even though they think they might think something's wrong, they could be wrong about that mm -hmm. and, and that they should, you know, open their mind to, to seeing the world through other people. Again, sounds really nice, right? It doesn't sound like a bad idea to be compassionate about other people. But when you get into a classroom and you have, you know, a child being told that their female teacher should be called mix so-and-so who's going through a gender transition, and then you have to have a conversation with that with your six-year-old, you know, parents, I don't want to lie to my kids. I had a problem with the masking because of it. I have a problem with this because of it. I don't lie to my kids. They need to be able to trust me. And so this idea that we're going to, you know, put our children into a school system that's programming, programming them to be open to all of these other different ideologies is very, very dangerous. Yeah, that's it. I, I didn't know. I don't think I've ever heard of SEL before. So thanks it's for bringing that to us. Yeah. And like, this is such an asymmetrical battle, too, because yeah. it weren't to the point where folks would be more in line of our thinking are saying, well, we don't we just don't want the school to transition our child without our knowledge. Whereas I say, like, no, that's that's not far enough. We, we need the school to say your kid wants to, quote unquote, transition. And if you're OK with it, then we're going to report you to the police because you're abusing your kid. Like we need to go that far. They have they're having private conversations with other people's children behind closed doors where they're saying, what name do you want to use at school? What bathroom would you like to use? What sex would you like to sleep with when you go on field trips? My friend, January Littlejohn, who works with Do No Harm Now, her daughter was sucked into this horrible I mean, it, it is. It's a cult. It's, it's this, a cult, it's this yeah. horrible cult. And, um, you know, God forbid you say anything against it and then you're a horrible person. And, and parents need to stand up and understand that uh, this isn't just happening in one place. All over the country, parents are being there's a wedge being driven between the parent and the child. Um, the other thing that I think is important to understand when it comes to a lot of this gender ide uh, uh, gender ideology stuff. And you bring up Chloe, who's a wonderful young lady. I'm very proud to know her and to fight alongside her. Um, children who are on the autism spectrum are oftentimes um, more likely to, to fall into this cult, to be oh. honest. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, so. All right. Oh, man, take, take it, Gary. Take okay. it. We, so, we're going to set you up here, Tiffany. This yeah. is going to be professional broadcasting. Yeah. Sorry to <laughs> interrupt like that, but it, it's just, of course. Of course, it's it's autistic kids that are being targeted. And I'll use that word liberally. They're being targeted by this cult, just like they are by the FBI. Steve and I talk about this all the time. We just did a deep dive. We had a, another guest on, a journalist who, who digs into FBI stuff sometimes. And the FBI is always consistently targeting autistic people, autistic <laughs> kids oftentimes. They'll find them in a chat room online when they're 16, and they'll start prompting them with the worst ideas. And then when they're 18, they'll arrest them and say, oh, you're a terrorist. And so... You can take it from there, but I have a feeling it's going to be very, very similar to what we've seen and experienced in the FBI with autism as it is in the world of public school and this gender ideology cult. Why so would the FBI want to do that? I don't understand why they would do that. Well, when it comes to the terrorist side of the house, and this is this is inside to the FBI, uh, they need terrorist cases. They have a quota. 
And it's very easy, very much like an autistic person can be encouraged to go into this transgender mania to get an autistic person obsessed with ISIS. And they can cultivate that and use it over a amount of time, especially with the online community, because they never have to leave their desk. They can be in their cubicle and having these online conversations with them and then encouraging them to do these things or at least encouraging them to go down that road far enough so that they can then make an articulable case that they provided material support because you sent uh, you know, an Amazon gift card for $20 over to ISIS and wow. we're going to charge you with that. And the, it sort of pertains back to what you experienced where the National School Board Relations uh, Advocacy Group was going to the DOJ and saying the parents at school board meetings were terrorists and the FBI was all too happy to comply with that because, well, that's fertile soil. We can boost our stats now. Yep. Well, so I have a question for you. I have one more question. So soon um, there will be an, an episode of 60 Minutes airing and Tina and I did an interview with one of their journalists. His name is Scott Pelly. And I don't know, I think you guys do know this. I testified before Congress as well. And I uh, let them know that uh, the FBI field office in the state had reached out to one of our moms after she spoke at a school board meeting. Uh, she was called on the phone and they had a number of questions for her. They asked her if she had any guns in her home. They asked her if she had a history of mental health illness. Um, and so I shared that with Scott Pelley uh, during the interview that we did with him, and he called me a liar. He told me that the FBI does not call people. So I was just wondering if you guys could weigh in on that. You want to take it, Steve? Okay, all right. So that Scott Pelley doesn't know what he's talking about, uh, probably with most things, but certainly with this. Uh, combined, Steve and I have about 12, 13 years of experience as FBI agents. I only did it for about four. Well, I guess we're, we're past five now because technically I'm still employed by them, but I digress. Good but job. no, you call, you call people all the time. I mean, oftentimes it's the first thing you do is pick up the phone and call and you try to find a good phone number, a good address. Hey, can I come and, you know, talk to you or whatever? Like, yes, it depends, of course, on, you know, what your goal is. But you call people all the time. I mean, and, and to speculate even on this, because this was such a ludicrous allegation, I would imagine that the FBI agent knew it was ludicrous and said, I don't want to do it. I'll 100%. do the least amount of thing that I have to do is I'll pick up the phone and ask these checklist questions so that I can just cross this off the list and close this out. That would be my speculation. But you absolutely can do a phone interview to the extent that the FBI has a software to record your interviews, to, to document them. Your, your FD302 is the form you fill out. It's the contemporaneous, as it's called, uh, recollection of what, what, what transpired during the interview. It gives you the drop-down option of where did this interview happen? How did it happen? Did it happen in person? Did it happen on the phone? Phone is one of the options. So you heard it here, Scott Pelley. Uh, the FBI does, in fact, call people. Um, and it was shocking, right? One minute you're making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and the next minute the FBI is calling you um, and it's shocking. And so I, I guess, you know, I, I think I need to have you guys on my podcast so that you can come in and tell me a little bit and help uh, our moms and dads understand how to best engage with the FBI because there is no doubt um, that the effort uh, by the FBI to do this, by the DOJ to do this was to chill speech Yep. to scare parents, to stop us from coming forward and speaking out, to protect the system that is currently failing our students. And moms and dads in America have had enough. Yep. We will not stand for it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. This is, I'll talk about this a little bit. So before Steve and I testified, we testified in May of 2023. In February of 2023, I went to DC and I was essentially deposed. They call it a transcribed interview, but I was deposed by Republican and Democrat staff attorneys. And this whole topic came up about the school boards and about the FBI investigating them. And this is one of the, this is one of the primary things that I made protected disclosures about. And when we testified, Jim Jordan said that his belief, essentially, I'm not quoting, but he essentially said his belief, the reason they targeted me so hard was because of this issue. And he could be right about that. I don't know. We'll probably never really know. But when they were questioning me about this, we we're going through a couple of examples of how the FBI was investigating these parents. And I, I said exactly what you just said. This is chilling to the First Amendment rights of those parents. And it absolutely 100% is. Yeah. And my belief is that it absolutely 100% is intentional. 
because they don't want you to speak up. They don't want you to be in control of your child. They don't want you to be involved with with the school. They don't want you to be involved with the government. What did President Biden say less than a year ago? Our nation's children are all our children? No, they are not. They are not. And I'll I, I do this most episodes. I'll I'll put it in here because I think it's completely relevant. Proverbs 17, 6. Grandchildren are crowned to the aged, and parents, parents are the pride of their children. Our government is trying to destroy that truth. And thank God for people like you who are standing in the breach to defend it, because who knows where we would be if a group like Moms for Liberty didn't exist already, just in a couple years that you have. We're not going to stop fighting. And I just want to say it's not me. I mean, you know, Tina and I are doing our best to lead. As I said, we were prepared uh, for this moment in a unique way that I don't think that we really uh, will ever possibly understand, to be honest with you. Amen. Um, that's, I mean, that's the same. We talk about that. It's the same. We we have been prepared. We have been, you, us, we've been put through this and refined and, and you know, we exist for this time. It's our moms and dads on the ground and all of the members um, of our organization, grandparents, community members who are getting up every day, getting involved, pushing back, not being scared, knowing that the future of our country is at stake. And so I'm just incredibly thankful for them. And I'm thankful you guys have me on today to kind of just share a little bit about some of the work that we're doing. Well, thanks for joining us. And, and guys, if you want to find her, make sure you don't get uh, snookered by Google. It's momsforliberty.com. .org. Uh, .org. Yep. momsforliberty.org but the four is f-o-r so no no spelling uh craziness with it momsforliberty.org she's on twitter on the x at four the number four tiffany justice you can find everything she's putting out there and then moms for liberty also has its own twitter site which is is excellent for great for content tiffany thanks so much for joining us today um, and then we're and I'm happy to connect with you offline and, and share the information that I'm trying to push through Florida and hopefully spread it around to, to other chapters in other states, because I think that it's going to take a lot of us to, to crawl this back. It was a long march through the institutions and it's going to be a slow march back. But we're I think we've gotten the momentum here uh, heading in the right direction uh, before we close it out today. Uh, oh, one, hang on. Hang on. Steve. Oh. one last thing. Steve has been working on me, Tiffany, to move to Florida and uh, it's <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I will. I don't know. Things, topics like this get me fired up and say, "All right, fine, let's all unite in, in a in a you know pretty localized area." But uh, one last question from the from me. It actually comes from the chat again. Mahao E fifty two, one of our monthly supporters. He says, "What form of support for your organization helps the most?" Um, financial support right now and getting involved. So we try to give all of our people across the country, over 120,000 members are volunteers, and we try to give them support um, in order to be able to unify, educate, and empower in their own communities. So all of the issues you've heard me talk about today from how to get involved in your school district and the different ideologies that are happening, we're building out a, a really comprehensive resource page right now. We just brought on a resource director, but we're also working on a grant program for our chapter so they can do events in their own local community. So thank you for asking me that, Garrett. And the last thing I'll just leave you with is this, guys. Um, early on in this fight, uh, especially during COVID, I was really angry all the time. I, I just was very angry that the government was doing this and that we were being lied to and how hard it was to affect change and how you felt really powerless, right? And um, I, I started thinking, uh, if you know my podcast, it's called the Joyful Warrior Podcast. And I started thinking about how can you be a joyful warrior where you're fighting for the future of America, but you're doing it with a smile on your face because our kids are watching us. So to everyone, um, I just say it is a privilege to fight for this country. We know people have died fighting to defend our country and our and, and America. Um, and I ask you to join us in this fight. Be a joyful warrior. Keep a smile on your face. There are many intentional provocations. They want to provoke us into anger. Um, and we need to stand in truth and light and, and in support of our family and faith and freedom. So thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Tiffany. God bless you all. Um, you. Folks, we, uh, we're ready to close it out for today, but uh, we would be derelict in our duty here unless we give you a little uh, read about the Suspendables website, the-suspendables.com. Uh, Garrett is, uh, is still grinding away at his uh, at his sweatshop, trying to get out some good merch there. 
and I know you're getting to the end of some of your some of your inventories. So hopefully, we we'll get some new stuff in there, Garrett. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, you just scrolled past the hashtag "Are You Suspendable" shirt. We're coming down to the last handful of those. So if you're interested in that in blue or black, you better scoop it up asap before they're all gone. That's all great to hear. And then, secondly, we want to make sure that we're talking about the show's sponsor. This is TrueEarth.co. TrueEarth dot co you don't need the m you can go there 2024 guys let's get healthy this this organization reached out to me it's an american company they uh, have products there for your garden they have products there for your general health i'm on the regimen i've been taking the turmeric and i uh, have noticed since i've been doing it that the inflammation pain that i've experienced for a number of years actually now has greatly subsided and studies have shown that turmeric actually does contribute to uh reducing the inflammation in your body you can take advantage of our promo code that's unique to this audience it's amrad24 and you will get 10 percent off of the merch you spend over 80 dollars you actually get free shipping uh so make sure you go there guys and i will tell you more about this company in the future uh, but what you have to know is that uh, this is a american company it's a christian-based company in georgia everything is here so take advantage of that finish it out for the day guys we will be back on thursday at this is the american radicals podcast on rumble rumble.com slash amradpod you can follow tiffany our guest today thanks again at for tiffany justice you follow garrett at gob actual and you can follow me at real steve friend and we'll see you again on thursday at high noon enjoy your day been listening to the voice of the suspendables on the american radicals podcast follow us on rumble.com slash am rad pod Everybody out in the world.